The second reading is from Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18, which you can find on page 473 of the Blue Bibles. From verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's your appetite for God? In our prosperous country, I'm sure all of us have had uh, the opportunity to have very full bellies, maybe even too full. My kids don't ever seem to uh, get just a little bit hungry. As soon as there is uh, just the tiniest pang of hunger, it's, I'm starving, or I'm starving to death. Do you notice how the fuller your stomach gets, your appetite for food shrinks? If you're full, even the most tantalizingly delicious meal doesn't even look appetizing. I I couldn't, you know, you could put a feast before me, I couldn't even have another tiny little bit. On the flip side, if you are really hungry, well then even stale bread looks like a meal fit for a king. What about your appetite for God? Do you hunger for him like a person who's just lived through weeks of drought? Or do you feel like you've overeaten and you're pretty full and actually I can't fit any more God in? As we consider our appetite for God, we come to our daily bread in God's word this morning. And this might seem like just a morsel with just three verses, but there is much to feast on here. And so we will eat through our passage in asking three questions which correspond to the language in the text. Firstly, should Christians fast? Secondly, how shouldn't Christians fast? And thirdly, how should Christians fast? Those uh, questions can be answered with language from the passage. Firstly, when you fast, should Christians fast? Well, when you fast. How shouldn't Christians fast? Uh, Don't be like the hypocrites. And finally, how should Christians fast for your father? So let's have our Bibles open and hearts hungry for the word, beginning with our first question. Should Christians fast? Kids, who can tell me what fasting is? Not eating, that's right. And can you give me any examples of when uh, adults or perhaps even you sometimes will have to fast? Anyone? Ah, you haven't quite talked to your parents about adults. Are there any ex- situations where you might have to fast? 
Surgery. Yeah, that sounds like it's had to be done recently. <laughs> That's right, surgery, blood tests. There are certain sometimes medical reasons why uh, we have to go without food. Most often in our culture, that is the reason people fast. But there are other kinds of fasting in our world, aren't there? People fast for religious reasons, not just Christians. So Muslims, for example, have Ramadan, where they fast from food and water during the daylight hours of the day for a whole month. Hindus will have different festivals and different practices of fasting as well. Mahatma Gandhi, the famous Indian activist, he effectively protested by fasting. So in many ways, fasting is a commonplace activity in our world. And it is not a distinctly Christian practice. But to fast as a Christian has unique aspects in why we fast. So to begin with, uh, there are no physical health benefits mentioned in the Bible about fasting, as far as I'm aware. God doesn't say fast because it's good for your body. Uh, You might say that, somebody might come back at me and say, well, no, what about the Daniel fast? You know, Daniel and his friends, they all ate vegetables and and that's sometimes called the Daniel fast. Well, that's just eating healthy food. I regret to inform you, that's not fasting. We call it a Daniel fast because, you know, our diets are full of such bad food that eating vegetables is a foreign thing. So it's important for us to know what we are talking about when we talk about fasting. Now, if you search the Old Testament for references to fasting, you will find many. Leviticus 16 tells us about the Day of Atonement, which was a regular ceremony that God instituted for the people of Israel. And as part of that day, they were to afflict themselves, as we read about in Leviticus 16, and that included fasting. Now, that's an important word that we will come back to. This Day of Atonement fasting, this was the only regular ongoing fast for the people of God that God gave to Israel. Now, sometimes other fasts for the nations or groups were called for various reasons. So, for example... uh, Queen Esther requested of the Jews to fast for her before she went before the king. There are other examples of kings and leaders of Israel doing this kind of thing as well, often because they were in a really bad situation or because they needed to cry out to God or because something awful happened and they were all in mourning. There are several examples in the Old Testament where you will find these sorts of things happening, a fast being called for the nation for this reason. Now, it wasn't just the nation that fasted as well. You have individuals who fasted. King David is a good example. He wrote this in Psalm 35, verse 13. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. David also fasted and he prayed when his son Bathsheba was ill. You may remember the story. He committed adultery, committed a a, a great, heinous sin against God. And God's judgment upon him was that the son that uh, that would be born to Bathsheba, the woman he committed adultery with, would die. And so when he was born, uh, he became ill. and And David fasted in the hope that he might be brought back to life. 
So fasting in the Old Testament was done for the purposes of devotion and, and prayer or crying out to God. It was also sometimes done out of mourning and sadness. And this is the context that we see in the New Testament. That is also the practice of people there. Anna, who is a, a pro, was a prophetess, she was waiting for the Messiah, a godly woman. We, see, we read about in Luke chapter 2 that she did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. Jesus himself fasted at the beginning of his ministry, as we saw a few months ago in Matthew chapter 4. As we saw then, one of the purposes of fasting is seen in Jesus' response to the devil. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as we come to our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 6, this gives us important background to what fasting was for the Jews and the culture of fasting that was around in Jesus' day. But before we get to our passage, allow me to remind us of where we are because it's been a little while since uh, we were in this series. Verse 1 in chapter 6, it sets up the three sections which end with our passage this morning. Jesus is warning not to do these things for the praise of others. That is the key instruction. That instruction governs everything else he has to say about these specific acts of righteousness. This is like the title of the chapter. And these acts of righteousness are what Jesus deals with in the three sections. They were common forms of Jewish piety, of Jewish religion. And so we looked at those a few months ago, you might remember. The first was almsgiving. Kids, can anybody remember what almsgiving is? Cutting off your arms and giving them to somebody? No? What were they? What is it? Do you remember? Helping people. That's right. Giving to the poor. That's right. Arms giving, giving money to the poor. That was the first that Jesus dealt with. You find that in verses 2 to 6, I think it is. The second was prayer. And now, and now we come to the final one, fasting. And so just like the other two, Jesus gives us this instruction about fasting. And when you fast... When you fast. In the same way that he said, when you give to the needy, when you pray, he says, when you fast. Now, this kind of instruction doesn't give you an option, does it? it Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. And when it comes to giving to the poor, and when it comes to prayer, now I'm confident that all Christians would tell you that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. In my last two sermons, I said that about those two, and... Nobody disagreed. Well, what about fasting? Now, perhaps you think, well, you know, there's lots about fasting in the New Testament, but in the New Testament, sorry, in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it doesn't speak much about it, so it can't be that important. Well, there's some truth to that. Outside of Jesus' own words, we, we don't find any specific instructions about fasting in the New Testament. And we only have one clear example of it in Acts chapter 13, which we'll get to later. But if the Bible gives us no reason to go against Jesus' instruction to his disciples, then we should assume that that continues. When you fast. 
Uh, not only that, but there's, there's good reason to believe that Jesus intends for this instruction to continue. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, quest, uh, Jesus is questioned about why his disciples don't fast. So obviously, for some reason, Jesus and his disciples had gained the reputation that they don't fast the same way John the Baptist's disciples fast. So this is what Jesus says in response. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. You see, Jesus says that having the bridegroom around in bodily form is too good to be fasting. I've never been to or heard of a wedding reception where everyone celebrates by eating no food and tearing their clothes and putting dust on their heads and wailing loudly. I mean, if, if you've been to a wedding like that, I'm sure the marriage didn't last very long, right? That's not, that's not how you celebrate a marriage. So Jesus is saying, while I am here, it is a time for celebration, but the days will come, he says, when they will. When I am taken away from them, when I ascend into heaven with the promise that I will be back, then they will fast. And Jesus will be back. You can, you can take that to the bank. But he's not back yet. 2,000 years and counting. Maybe it's sooner given, you know, AI is going to take over the world or something. But he will be back. But because he is not yet then when he says, when you fast, then we continue to fast. So the answer, should Christians fast? Well, the resounding answer to that is yes, until he comes again. As 18th century preacher John Wesley said, the man who, or woman, who never fasts is no more in the way to heaven than the man who never prays. I can't help but think that he has Matthew 6 in mind as he writes that. But if that's the case, then it's worth wondering, why do so few of us do it? And so infrequently. I mean, when was the last time you fasted? Now, that's a genuine question. I'm not trying to imply that, that you haven't recently. But my guess would be that not many of us fast with any intentionality or regularity. Now, if we agree that this is a matter of if, sorry, of when and not if, then isn't that a problem? Why don't we? Or if we do, why is it so rare? Maybe it's because we're just not taught. That's fair enough. As I mentioned, it doesn't come up heaps in Scripture, so there probably aren't too many opportunities for that to, be, to come up in teaching. But surely it's not just that. Surely the more serious reason we don't fast is because we're just happy where we are. We're full 
our appetite for God is diminished. Perhaps because we're full of other things or perhaps because we're just content with, you know, enough God to make life comfortable. I hope today answers the questions that you have about fasting in the Bible. But I hope that once those questions are answered, then we will seriously think about how the Bible's teaching on fasting should change our lives and increase our hunger for him. So Christians should fast. How? That brings us to our second question. How shouldn't Christians fast? I am a guilty partaker in one of the latest fasting trends called intermittent fasting. You heard of that? Inter- <laughs> I hear about it intermittently. I do what's called the 16-8 the fast which means you fast for 16 hours of the day and then you eat for eight hours of the day. It seems like a convenient way to skip breakfast and then say it's for health reasons. To be clear, that is not Christian fasting. And because fasting is reasonably commonplace, we must take care not to mix up our reasons for fasting with non-Christian ones. You can't just, I can't just do that and then say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm fasting. For Jesus. No. That's one way you shouldn't fast. Well, Jesus gives us the most important warning against it. He says in verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be, uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now kids, I've asked it before, but again, it's been a while and reinforcement can be a good way to learn. What are hypocrites? That's right, people who tell you not to do something and then they do it. Or the other way, they tell you to do something and then they don't do it. Basically, they're not consistent with what they say. And the word hypocrite comes from a similar Greek word, which means play actor. And that's likely closer to what Jesus meant in saying this. You see, Jesus is talking about the hypocrites as people who are just actors. Now here he is most likely targeting the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And he's basically saying their acts of righteousness, we saw it again in the previous ones, the way they, they give to the poor, the way that they pray, and the way that they fast, they do it all for show. We see it in the previous verses, verses 2 and 5. Hypocrites, hypocrites. Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. In your giving, don't make it obvious. In your prayers, don't make it obvious. Don't seek the praise of others. And fasting, well, I think we see where this is going. Don't make it obvious. Don't do it publicly. Don't do it for the praise of others. Don't look gloomy, he says, and don't disfigure your face. Now, by disfigure, he's not talking about you know, punching yourself in the face. He's talking about making, making it look like it's in a bad state. 
And that makes sense because, as we saw, fasting in Old Testament times was often a sign of mourning and sadness or deep religious devotion and prayer. So, so that naturally is what you are going to look like if you are fasting for those reasons, right? And so the hypocrites, they made sure that everybody knew, that everybody could see, that they could tell that they were fasting. That's why Jesus gives those instructions. Don't be gloomy. So how shouldn't we fast? Well, the same way we shouldn't give to the poor, the same way we shouldn't pray. Don't do it for recognition. Don't do it for the praise of people. Now, this seems almost too sensible to need to be said, right? But obviously, Jesus says it for a reason. You see, the proud and sinful heart so easily is overwhelmed by sin and pride. Why would you want to fast so that people can see you, so that they can see what you're doing? Because you no longer hunger for God. Because you crave the praise of others. When fasting becomes an empty ritual for the sake of putting on a good show of religion, then it is stripped of its purpose and power. Do you remember Jesus' parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee? The Pharisee, he talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector going up to pray. And the Pharisee did it all for show, thinking that he was doing it all for God. Listen to him describing himself in Luke 18. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You can basically hear himself patting himself on the back. This is what a heart that craves not God, but the praise of people looks like. Boasting in our religious works, proud of our adherence to these rituals. Now, just like with giving and prayer, we must answer the question of whether we're ever allowed to fast in such a way that other people know, right? It's going to be pretty hard to fast around your family without them knowing, isn't it? And the answer is the same as with the first two, if you remember. You remember in verse 1, as I pointed out before, Jesus' warning is all about doing these things for the purpose of being seen. That is the central problem. That is what Jesus is going after. It's not about it only ever being private. As we saw with the others, there are public examples of giving, uh, of giving to the poor. There are also public examples of prayer. And the same is true of fasting. In Acts chapter 13, we have an example of a church-wide fast. That is hard to keep secret if everybody knows that you are doing it. So the, the issue that Jesus is getting at, the, the, the arrow that, that Jesus is wanting to fire is into the heart of all of us 
He wants to cut at the core of the issue. The problem is not publicity. No, the issue is intent. It is the heart's desire. The problem is wanting people's praise. Jesus says, if you fast for this reason, just like if you give to the poor or if you pray for this reason, then you will have received your reward. And what is that reward? The praise of others. The very thing you are desiring, that's the only thing you are going to get. That is how it is for the hypocrites. Jesus says, do not be like them. The problem of sin and pride is that in our fallenness, we too easily crave this, don't we? I mean, even fasting for health reasons is usually motivated by that, isn't it? Personally, I I hope, I do intermittent fasting for health reasons. But I'm sure there's a part of me that does it because I want the praise of others when they admire my physique. I want them to comment on the, on the weight that I've lost or whatever. But the praise for spiritual fasting is of a different kind, or at least it sounds different, even though it's of probably the same kind. Oh, you, oh, you are so godly. Oh, I, I, I don't know how you have such spiritual discipline. I could never be... Thou art holier than I. Now, let me be clear. You can encourage and even praise someone when they are growing in godliness. As a matter of fact, please do that. The Bible encourages us, enjoins us to do that. It's one way that we encourage each other and one way that we continue on the the road as weary pilgrims on the journey without giving up. Please do so. Encouragement and flattery are not the same thing. Be careful of that. But continue to encourage. You see, the the person that Jesus is warning here is not the giver of encouragement and praise. It's the receiver. The hypocrite's heart does their acts of righteousness, including fasting, for other people's praise. And that praise... It doesn't have to be spoken out loud in order for us to crave it. Have you ever imagined other people saying how great you are? Have you ever imagined or thought about how pleased other people would be with the things that you are doing in devotion to God? Perhaps somebody who, who means a lot to you, whose regard, whose esteem you regard, whose, whose praise you, you really desire. Maybe even a godly person, a mentor. You see, all of that only needs to be in our own heads. And so we therefore must ask the question, is our audience other people? Or is it God? Don't be like the hypocrites. This echoes the passage that we read out earlier in Isaiah 58. 
In verse 3, God's people cry out, asking why God hasn't heard them, and he answers them. Have a listen to this interaction. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? God's response is, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Can you see what's happening here? They are fasting to seek their own pleasure. And that outworks itself in them oppressing their workers. Their hearts, they're not even for God at all. And it is showing in their lives. They seek pleasure instead of God, and it shows up in their lack of justice, mercy, and love for their workers. The empty ritual of fasting, brothers and sisters, is useless when you have no heart and no hunger for God. And it will simply result in a life that does all the religious, the ritualistic things, but doesn't seek the weightier matters of love for God and living faithfully for Him. I have no doubt that there have been times and days in my life when I fasted because I thought it was the right thing to do. But I didn't even bother using the time to pray, nor did I bother meditating on my physical hunger to help it cultivate within me a spiritual hunger. No, I did it because I thought, well, this is what good Christians do. The same can be said for so many of our Christian activities. And no, I wasn't in a ritualistic church. But I have no doubt that my fasting at that time had become an empty ritual. That fasting does not please God. It would be better not to fast than to do it without a hunger and love for God. In the same way that it would be better not to do the religious things without a hunger for God. English Baptist pastor Andrew Fuller put it this way, Fasting is supposed to be the ordinary practice of the godly. Christ does not make light of it, but merely cautions them against its abuses. It is only a means, however. If rested in as an end, it will be an abomination in the sight of God. Do you hear what he's saying there? Don't do it because you think it will save you. Let this be a warning for all of us and for all of our spiritual disciplines. Now hear me out. Sometimes we do things because we know we should. Sometimes there's no joy in the moment. Sometimes in the act of obedience, we are preaching to ourselves. We are saying, God, I don't feel this right now, but I know it is true. And there is, there is a longing deep within my heart that, that cries out to you, even though on an emotional level, it's not there. I've been in that position times myself. But there is a vast difference, brothers and sisters, between that 
and thinking that we are fasting or whatever act of Christian piety alone will be enough for God to be happy with you. You know, people say that Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. You've heard that? Personally, I don't really, I think that's an unhelpful distinction. But if what someone means by that is that God hates empty rituals that are performed by spiritually dead hypocrites, then I totally agree with that. We are not saved by simply doing these things. We do not have a relationship with God because we do these things. And if our hearts do not hunger for God, then that is a danger. Brothers and sisters, do not fast as the hypocrites do. But do it for your Father who sees in secret. That brings us to our final question. How should Christians fast? For our Father. In all our acts of devotion, we do them for him. Verse 17 says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, we don't do this these days, the anointing part. I mean, I don't really do the face washing part either, but anoint is, is more of a religious word in our culture, right? But anointing your hair and, and washing your face was what you did to prepare yourself in Hebrew culture. It's basically like having a shower. I, I do that. I do it. That's all we need to know. And, and anointing your head and washing your face, that's exactly what David did when he got up from his fast. In 2 Samuel 12, we see that. It is how you just prepare for the day. So Jesus is saying here, don't make a show of it. Just act normal. Don't make it obvious or public or have any kind of show that you are fasting. Don't go around talking about how hungry you are because you're fasting. Why? Because that would be an indicator that you are doing it for them and not for him. You are doing this for the one who sees all. And so it does not matter whether others see or whether you receive others' praise. And Jesus uh, continues there with wording that is very similar. As a matter of fact, in English, the, uh, at least in the ESV, it is exactly the same. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is why we do it. Do we delight in the father's reward? Do we delight in knowing that receiving his reward is far greater than anything else, any other reward? We talked in previous sermons about what that reward could be. Now, it, it would certainly involve an eternal reward. That is the greatest reward. But that's not all. His reward here is also here and now. But if that's the case, what is that reward? What is the reward of fasting that we experience today? 
It's him. The reward that we receive when we fast for the Father is him. Listen to Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who, or woman who takes refuge in him. He is the one who satisfies our appetite. He is the one who so fills us that when we even have just a taste of him, we recognize that nothing else will satisfy. Nothing can satisfy like him. Church, is this your experience of God? Is he more satisfying to you than the gourmets, than the treats that sin and Satan have to offer? If only we could taste him. If only we could taste and see that the Lord is good, far greater than anything else. But wait, we can, can't we? Isn't this at least part of the point of fasting? Listen to the prophet Joel, which we read earlier, as he delivers God's words to Israel. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. God's call to us in fasting is that we rend our hearts and not our garments. His call is that we would return to him with our whole heart. That we would starve ourselves of worldly appetites and cultivate an appetite for the Lord. One that cannot be quenched until the day we see him again. You see, fasting is a spiritual discipline because our stomachs are such a great analogy for our spiritual selves. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes those who walk as enemies of Christ. He says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame. You see, fasting helps us with the regular work of not worshipping our bellies. Bellies there being a metaphor of of, of every other desire that we might want that is against Christ, that is away from him, that is an enemy of him. It makes sense, doesn't it? You can relate to that. Our physical appetite tells us what our bodies need and want. Sometimes it's hard to make sense of. Just ask a pregnant woman who wants to eat chalk. But her body is telling her 
that that's what she wants. There's a particular mineral in that or whatever it is. What a clever way for God to give us a picture of our spiritual appetites. What do you crave? Do we live by bread alone or do we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God? You see, fasting, the practice of fasting, it breaks that cycle of thinking which says that all we need is physical bread. It helps us to speak to our souls and to speak to our bellies and say, God, I don't want to have an appetite for earthly things. I do not want to fool myself into believing that I can live without you. I do not want to fool myself into believing that what is the here and now is far more important than you. I don't want that. God, I want you. I want to taste and see that you are good. I want my heart to know and I want to pursue a belly that is in you alone. One that craves you. That knows that I cannot be satisfied unless I have you. And more of you. Have you worked up an appetite for him? Brothers and sisters, if we are spiritually overweight, then fast. Now, I hope we've heard the call to turn our hearts to the Lord and to fast this morning. But a word of caution. I mentioned earlier that Christian fasting is different to other fasting. And that's because of the gospel. You see, the Father rewards us for our obedience. That's true. But his reward is given to us freely as a gift of grace because of Jesus. And so if you are here this morning and you hear this call to, to fast and you think, oh man, I am terrible. God is never going to be pleased with me. He, he's, he's not going to accept all of my efforts. And, and you're worried about that. Then turn to Jesus and remind yourself of the truth of the gospel. The Bible tells us that our relationship with God is broken because of sin and that there is nothing that we could possibly to do to earn back that relationship, to earn his reward. No amount of fasting, even if you did it perfectly, would not be enough. Our sin leaves us with nothing but God's wrath and judgment. That is what it deserves. But remember Joel too, return to him because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he has shown that to us supremely in his son. God in his great love sent us Jesus to make a way for us to be saved from the judgment of our sin. And Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father in perfect relationship with the Father so that he could then give his life on the cross for you and for me. 
See, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that every single person, no matter how unfaithful they've been, no matter how rebellious, no matter how sinful, no matter how disobedient to God, every single person who turns away from their sin and turns to Jesus and trusts in him for their salvation will be saved. Return to the Lord. Return to him through faith in Christ. That is the good news. And it is on the foundation of that relationship. The relationship that we have based on Christ's obedience that we fast. This is so crucial. When you fast, brothers and sisters, don't do it because you think that God is displeased with you. Don't picture him looking at you like a mean, abusive parent waiting to see when you don't get it right. He's not greedily, stingily holding back his love from us. He's not greedily saying, oh, well, I don't know if that one deserves a reward or not. That's not him. Don't do it because you think that it'll earn you some kind of special favor with God. Don't think of it as a transaction where if you, if you fast for long enough or desperately enough that God will then owe you or give you the thing that you are asking for. See, brothers and sisters, because of the gospel, we fast And we delight in receiving the Father's reward because he has already given us so much in Christ. We can have confidence that the Father will reward because of Jesus. And because we have already received the ultimate reward in Christ... We know that he is pleased with us in him. The fasting that we participate in as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of the living God, is not one of lack. It's not one of hoping that God will answer. No, it's the kind of fasting that is like a bride the night before her wedding as she sleeps separately from her soon-to-be husband. They are promised to be married and her joy is soon to be complete. She's not sad and mopey about the separation. She's confident and full of expectation. That's the kind of fasting we do. Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, is away and we long for him to return. But he has not left us alone completely. He has given us his Holy Spirit as we live as his people here. And so when we fast, it's not because we're trying to convince Jesus that we are worth loving. No, we fast because until he calls us home or comes back for his bride, we want more of him. We need more of him. And we look forward to that glorious day when he finally does return. And we will feast at the wedding table with him for eternity. On that day and every day thereafter, there will be no more need for fasting. 
because the bridegroom will be united with his bride. Church, do we fast like this? The problem for most of us is that we think we've had enough. But no, we fast because we need, desperately need more of God. And so we, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we discipline our bodies in order to receive an imperishable reward. Now this is a timely word for all of us, always. Personally, I feel like I've grown a lot in my walk with Jesus over the last few years, but I look at my life now and I still see so many areas of a lack of spiritual discipline, of a hunger for worldly things, of a mind set not on God and eternity, but on the things of this world. We all need to be reminded. We all need to hear this word. But in particular... If you are struggling this morning, really struggling in your faith, you're finding it hard to taste and see that the Lord is good, let me suggest to you that this is something you should seriously consider doing now, like this week, tomorrow if you have to. So how do we do this? Let me finish by giving briefly three practical points on the how of fasting. First, we don't just have to fast food. Food is the ideal, as I said, because it involves our bellies. But sometimes for health reasons, food cannot be fasted. Pregnant mothers, for example, would be neglecting their child in the womb. Others have health conditions that prevent them from being able to fast. Do you remember the word afflict in Leviticus 16? You see, that captures the essence of fasting. We do it because it takes our hearts off worldly comfort and pleasures and places them onto God. And so in denying ourselves these things for a period of time, we are telling ourselves, man shall not live by bread alone. So fasting gives us a small taste of suffering for the sake of seeking God. So if you cannot fast food, or if you want to fast something else in addition to food, then by all means, do. Especially if it is something that is pulling your focus away from God, that is pulling your heart away from God. If it's something that makes you feel full and and kills your appetite for God. The point is to do it and to do what it takes to turn your heart away and your appetite away from those things. And on to the Lord. Secondly, I mentioned before that the Bible doesn't talk much about fasting. And God doesn't tell us exactly how we should do this as Christians. And so we don't have any prescriptions. Christians must fast. But for how long and how often? Well, that's up to you. 
Do seek wise counsel from others. Talk to your elders if you want. But we're not about to impose a rule on our church about when and how. Now, that said, there may be times when we as a church think that it is wise to fast as a church. At the very least, we'd want to do that whenever we we set apart workers for the gospel, like the church did in Acts chapter 13. Perhaps sending missionaries or appointing elders or deacons in our church would be a good time for us to do that. But there may be other times, special occasions, reasons why we do that, where we want to plead with God about something in particular. But at any rate, even if we did, we would leave that up to your conscience. Let me suggest to you, consider and pray about how you can include fasting in your life. And then just do it. Personally, I've been challenged about this in my own life, and I have made changes accordingly. I'm not going to tell you what those are, because that would be disobedient to Jesus. So thirdly, use the time well. I think I've made it clear that we should not be fasting, you know, just because. But it's amazing how easily we can forget why we do these things. When you fast, capture those minutes in the day to ask the questions, what do I really crave? What fleshly appetites do I need to starve? Bring those before the Lord and plead with him to remind you that you do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Plead with him that you would taste and see that the Lord is good and that you would crave him more and more until our bridegroom returns. As we do, I pray that our appetites for God would increase all the more. Will you return to him? The good, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, God. In fasting, in prayer. Let's pray now. Father, we too easily neglect our spiritual disciplines, the, the instructions that you've given us, the things that you have given for our good. We recognize that our appetites far too easily are tempted and pulled by the treats of this world. God, may you grow in us a hunger for you. One that is never satisfied with just a little, but one that recognizes that the reward of you is infinite. Help us to practice fasting and to do so 
with hearts set on you, seeking your reward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.